0: Thank you, Lord. Hey, guys, we're blessed. I don't want to take too much time. Uh, we're blessed. We have a guest in the house today, uh, Pastor Glenn Johnson from Vancouver, Washington. All right? That's not Vancouver, Canada. It's right by Portland. And uh, and uh, we're blessed to have him here. We've been, we've been friends with Amy. I've been friends with he and his wife for uh, quite a few years now. And uh, they pastor... They started their church and have been pastoring the same church for 38 years. Wow. How many know you get a ribbon, a trophy, or at least a cupcake for faithfulness and putting up with all the challenges and dealing with... Did you just call people challenges? Oh, And, uh, but they built a, built a great ministry there and affected many lives uh, now and then you hear me talking about ministering in the Philippines um, that's with Pastor Glenn he, uh, he's gone like a million times and I've gone a handful of times with him over there and we would have gone a few months ago but you know what happened and, uh, uh, but, but having, we've had some tremendous times ministering there and so I'm happy And you happy? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pleased that he's in our house today to share the Word of God, and, and uh, so let's open our hearts up wide and receive and soak it up and, and commit to be doers of the Word. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Let's welcome today Pastor Glenn Johnson to Life Church. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Thanks,
1: Will. Well... Great to be here, Uh, second service, we do two at our service, we'll see if I get through three, I might fall asleep, we'll see what happens on the three, (laughs) so it's great to be in this house, Um, like I say, uh, you know, I've been around a long time, Uh, started our church when I was 23, we started senior pastoring at 23 years old, my wife was 21, she'd only been born again two years, (laughs) I'd been born again four years, and uh, she'd only been filled with the Holy Ghost, I think, one year. And so we started off in a journey, and, and everything was so smooth. I mean, it was the smoothest ride you ever have, <laughs> never a problem, never had—actually, it was eight years of hell, but we won't talk about it, <laughs> and then we started off. But, but here's the thing. Now, let me just say this to you as, as so honored to be in this house, and uh, but let me say this to you. I, you know, if, at 38 years, you got to give me, whether you like me or not, you got to give me a little credit that I probably know what I'm doing a little bit, and I probably could— be a good judge of character after that. And to me, I think that, that you are blessed with some of the finest pastors in America today. Mark and Amy, you're blessed with these guys. Uh, I, I think I think that their anointing will is here, but it's also, I think it will be passed here on a national scale, maybe even an international scale. So I, I think you're, you're in a great house, and I don't just say that to, um, I don't just say that Matter of fact, I, I don't say that a lot of places, uh, but this is, this is the one place that I can say that you are blessed beyond measure to have the pastors that you have. So one more time, give them a hand that they, and, uh, I wrote a book, uh, how God, God took us out of the, just the, you know, 2008 crisis. And I was complaining to God I was like, well, how come Christians are in the same boat that everybody else is woke me up in the middle of the night. He said, the tithe is holy. He spoke that to me, download from heaven. Malachi chapter 3. I put this out. You guys can buy this. You could have bought it out in the foyer, but the first service bought all of them. I think we had 7,000 of them. In the it was out of 40, one of the two, but they, they bought all of them. So, But you go to Amazon right now and put in the Tithe is Holy in Amazon, and my book will be the first one to come up. It's $738, and thats um, oh excuse me $6.98. $6.98. But it's worth $798, so it really is. It really is. All right, so I was thinking about this. Uh, Have you guys ever, we had this happen to us recently. Have you guys, how many of you have ever had a credit card hacked or stolen? Anybody? Well, we had ours stolen recently. And uh, man, what a hassle. But then I got online, found out that whoever stole it was spending less than my wife, so I didn't even turn it in. So they've still got it, and I'm happy with their purchases. (laughs) Usually something comes thrown from uh, the audience when that happens from my wife, and generally my wife. Okay, I'll I'll get the guys here. I got the gals, and let me get the guys. So uh, a woman noticed her husband standing on the bathroom scale, sucking in his stomach. She said, well, that's not going to help, she said. Sure it does, he said. That's the only way I can see the numbers. Stand up with me a minute. If you got your Bibles, hold them up in the air. Hold them up in the air. If if it's on your phone or wherever, if you have a flip phone, just put it down. Nobody's going to believe there's a Bible on there. (laughs) Say this with me. I believe the Bible. It's God's Word to me. I can have what it says I can have. I can be what it says I can be. I'll be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. Today I receive the Word as my life instruction manual it's God's will that I'm healed. My family is blessed. I am prosperous. My marriage is great. The rest of my life will be the best of my life. Well, look at somebody and say, you look good today. I know you're well taught in the Word and faith here, and so I don't want to seem like I'm going to bring any kind of new revelation to you today. That's not my purpose and point. My my point is to simply support what's already going on here. We've been fighting a battle of faith. We're going to talk about faith today. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, he said, this is the victory that overcomes the world or the world system, even our faith. And then Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We've been fighting a, a battle of uh, just uh, Actually going on even right now, I text my son just just a second ago, and anyway, but so so my son, uh, a few weeks ago, he started getting this headache, and um, anyway, long story short, he got invited to go to Texas to a round table with J- Gerald Brooks. He went down there, his head's pounding the whole time, and he goes out bass fishing with gerald 's uh, son my son 's thirty five and he 's one of our pastors at our church and um, anyway, make a long story short, they go into a CAT scan, you're fine, go home, got a headache, gets on an airplane, comes home, they do a spinal tap, he's got meningitis. 35-year-old son's got meningitis. It's interesting, though, when he was diagnosed with meningitis just like a week or so ago, he's, his, two, his two-week-old son to the day a year before that was diagnosed with meningitis, and it's when they've dedicated themselves to fasting and prayer in January, the enemies came in, slipped in, and attacked them with meningitis. We curse that thing in Jesus' name. But I'm glad that I had the tools to fight. I'm glad that I had the tools to fight. I, I thank God that I went to the Bible school I went to. I'm glad that I have the knowledge that I have. I'm glad that I have the friends that I have because the battle's already won. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll, I didn't tell this in first service, but, but I was... Thursday night, I'd been spending the night at the church, just getting up and sleeping in the green room. And every time I wake up, I just get up in the sanctuary and pray. And I told I told the Lord, I said, "I'm not coming home till He's home." And so I was just, you know, praying. And I, so I got Thursday night. I was out there at the the worship team was going, and they got there about eight thirty because I was planning on spending the night. And of course, they were wrapping things up, and one of the worship team members don't even remember which one it was asked me. He says, "Well, how's how's Joel doing?" And I said. And I these words, I mean, you make small talk, and then these words came out of my mouth. He <laughs> said, it's, it, it's, not, it's what we do. It's only a battle. It's only a battle. And, and when those words came out of my mouth, it's like the Lord spoke a raiment to me from me, to me. It was the weirdest thing in the world. Not lessening the battle, but assuring the victory. So it, this is just, but you still have to battle. We still have to fight a fight of faith. And so we want to talk about that just a little bit today in Luke, in Luke chapter seven and verse one I want you to turn your Bibles over there in Luke chapter seven and verse one and we're going to read the story of this Centurion soldier it says now when they when he had concluded all his sayings and hearings of the people he entered Capernaum and a, uh, a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die so when he heard about Jesus he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and heal his servant and when they came to Jesus they begged him earnestly saying that the one whom he should do this was deserving for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue Jesus went with them and when he had already not was already not far from the house the centurion sent friends to him saying lord do not trouble yourself for i am not worthy that thou should come under my roof Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and, and uh, go, and, to, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd and followed him, I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were hurt were were sent returning to the house, found the servant um, who had been sick, uh, healed. So now let me just give you a little thought process here on this verse, because Matthew chapter 8 talks about the same story, only he tells it differently. Matthew chapter 8, and this is where people say there's contradictions in the Bible, because it's a a blaring contradiction between Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7 here that it seems like a blaring contradiction that he's talking about here because in Matthew chapter 8, it says the centurion soldier came to him. And here it says that he sent people to them. So which one is it? Well, one of the problems we have with the Bible is we, we are reading an Eastern book and with our cultures with a Western mind. So we would look at that and we'd say, well, that's a contradiction. Didn't the guy know which one it was? But see, in an Eastern culture, when you sent somebody, it's just as though you were there present with them. And so that's why they understood the substitutionary work of Jesus is because when Jesus went to the cross, it was easy for people to figure out if he went, then we went with him because we're in him. So the substitutionary work of Jesus is right there in that also because in an Eastern book, people don't, you know, if you're reading an Eastern book, it was not a big deal. They understood that. So that's just a little side thought there. If you go to read Matthew chapter eight and say, well, that's a contradiction, but it's really not. So today, I want to take us to and, and find out the story here. Why did, he, why did he say to this guy, why did he say about this guy, I've not found such great faith. I've not found this kind of faith. This is great faith. I've not found this great faith, not even in Israel. So I want to talk to you today about what caused or what, the, what, what makes that his faith greater. What was the faith that he looked at and said, his faith is great. So I, I kind of relate this to driving a car, an old man. You know what a manual transmission is? How many know it? How many know what a manual, some of you young people say, what's that? What's a manual transmission? I don't even know. Manual transmission is that little thing that used to come out of the bottom of the car. You used to go one, two, three, four, and you had to push the clutch. And so, but we're going to go like this today. We're going to go one, first gear, second gear, third gear, Ferrari. Okay. That's the way we're going to go. So, so just realize the first three points are one. I understand. That's really good. Two, I, oh, that's great! Huh? Praise the Lord. Three, ah, uh, that's great. Ferrari. Okay, we're going to Ferrariville today. If we, if you don't mind, if we just do that. So, the first thing that he, I think that he did to look at what what it was, is he he understood delegated. This man understood delegated authority. He understood his position, and he understood when he so, told soldiers go and he goes, go and they go. He understood that. And so he looked at Jesus and said, hey, you're just kind of like the way I command soldiers. You command sickness and it goes too. So you don't even need to show up. Just speak a word only and my servant will be healed. And I understand there's parts of that that, well, he didn't need a physical touch and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I agree with everything that anybody said on these about, the, about the, positiveness, the positives of what makes his faith great. But one of the things in life is I think it's important for all of us to understand what we have authority over. You know, what what is the place, what is our position, if you will, in the kingdom of God. And all you have to do is read Ephesians chapter one, verse 17 through 23. There's actually a prayer there that, that you it's hard to understand. So he actually gave us a prayer. And then in chapter two and verse one through six, he talks about in Ephesians chapter two and verse one through six. He gives us that position. He says you're seated with him in heavenly places. You're seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the highest seat of authority that you can exist that can exist for a human being. You know, we used to call these things when we used to, when I was a kid, you went to a small town and they'd say, they'd say this, they'd say, where's the county seat? That meant the courthouse. In other words, where's the county, where's the authority, where's the place that has the authority in this county? Well, when you're seated at the right hand of the Father, it's the highest place of authority that can exist for any person in the universe. And you, as a believer, are seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. So you've been seated in heavenly places in Christ. You have an amazing position in God. The second thing I think that made this great was Everything, I think, in life is tied to relationships. Now, in this passage here, this servant would probably have expired and died without the right relationship. Now, think about that. The servant probably would have expired and died without the proper relationship. We are, get this, we are deficient by design, God made you deficient by design. In other words, we are a body believers that need each other. You and this guy needed the relationship, the servant servant relationship. He needed that guy and he needed that guy to get his healing because he he sought it on behalf of that other person. Now, it's it's no it's not hard to understand, it's not hard to understand this, but the reality is every one of us should have relationships in our life that can take care of it there should be relationships in our life that can bring the healing power of God to us you know you talk about the Philippines um you know Jay and Annalisa Peach were our missionaries to the Philippines they are now my north camp we have two campuses our north campus pastors I brought them home just recently and so people will ask me they'll say um this and this is all about relationships but they'll say they'll say well hey pastor I'm thinking about going on the mission field I say, well let me give you one piece of advice let me give you one advice when you go on the mission field. So where are you going? Well, that's pretty dangerous land. Where are you going? Okay, bye-bye. I said let me ask you this question and I'll tell you whether you're ready to go on the mission field or not. All right, so if you're going on the mission field, who do you have in your life that's willing to sell their house if you get kidnapped and come over and rescue you? If you don't if you can't name 5 people, then you're not ready to go on the mission field. Because it's about relationships. And Jane and Elisa were with us forever. I mean, there's five or 10 people in, my, in our house, and most people would do, drop everything that they have to go help those people because it's important what relationships we have in our lives. Matter of fact, there's really three relationships we should have all the time. There should be three relationships, and this is kind of a side thought here, but there really should be three relationships. You should have mentors in your life, and, and God and mentors, some of, the, some of the people you look up to. Then you should have relationships that sustain your position. And then there should always be somebody that you're pulling up for no other reason in your life, but just to help their life. They don't add any value to your life, but you add value to their life. Those are the three relationships we need. A matter of fact, Hebrews says this, this way. Now, this is, this is going to blow your mind a little bit. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 6. Now, this is uh, talking about Abraham. Now, we remember Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and 13 and then 14. And in chapter 14, Abraham does something amazing. He goes out, and he rescues Lot, and he brings back all this you know, stuff, and he pays tithe to a guy by the name of Melchizedek, and now Melchizedek blesses him, and he pronounces a threefold blessing on him, which I don't have time to teach on. That's a whole other teaching, but he pronounces a threefold blessing. It's prosperity, it's authority, and it's, uh, and it's sonship, and he pronounces a threefold blessing. People say, well, what's the blessing of Abraham? Well, there it is right there in Genesis chapter 14. But it's interesting, now watch this now, it's interesting, that here's Abraham, chapter 12, I give you this great promise, God says, I'm going to send you out, I'm going to make you your name great, nothing happens. I, say, I mean, Abraham takes off, nothing happens. Matter of fact, things kind of get worse. And then all of a sudden, he runs into Melchizedek, Melchizedek blesses him, the floodgates opened in his life. Things start happening from that point forward. Listen to the scripture in Hebrews chapter seven and verse six. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So here's Melchizedek, pronounces a blessing on Abraham, seems like biblical ways that God were deficient by design because you can carry a promise from God but God reserves a, your blessing through somebody else. They have to marry those two together for them to work. You know, it's interesting in the, in the Portland area, Portland-Vancouver area, you have to understand the area I come from. Portland is a, Portland's theme is, and this is literally, everybody says this, keep Portland weird. They have fulfilled their mission. We have naked bike rides in Portland. I mean, organized naked bike rides in Portland. I'm skipping all of those. I don't know about, you know. But, I mean, it's a weird town. It's just, it's a, it's a strange town. But in that area, churches like ours have come and gone. And there's been like, I'm going to say there's been a close to 30 churches that believe like we believe. And there's probably five of those churches left out of 30. The rest of them started, didn't finish. And without fail, I can go back and I can tell you one common denominator of all five of those churches that the other ones didn't have in common. All of five of those were sent out by somebody else. The rest of them just decided to do it on their own. Some were sent and others just went. There's something about when you have a relation with somebody, there's something about that relational thing that God reserves a blessing with somebody else And you need to submit yourself in the blessing. I wonder, Pastor Mark and Amy. I wonder. I don't know if you guys have thought. How many years have been going now here? Twenty years. Twenty years. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, if I'm telling you, if you guys just don't know how rare it is to have somebody pastor the same church for twenty years, you just don't realize that. But you know, the thing is, I wonder this. I've wondered this often. I've sat in my life and I've contemplated life a lot because you know I'm 61 years old now and. I've been pastoring in the same church for 38 years. And I'll see somebody leave our church. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, I know, you know, I'm not everybody's destination. I'm just part of most people's journey. So it doesn't really bother me. You know, people leave. It, it's not, I understand that. People change, you know, they go, they come. so I understand that. But then somebody will die, you know, five years later. And I'll think, I wonder if I could have helped them if they would have stayed. I wonder if I could, I mean, I don't know if I could have, but I wonder if I could have helped them if they would have stayed. I wonder if we could have prayed them out of that cancer. I wonder, I wonder if we could have helped them more than they, than they are, more than we did. And it will always be a wonder and a mystery to me. And Maybe the Lord will never reveal that to me. But I think that relationships are one of the key things in the spiritual world for advancement in the body of Christ. The third thing is here is he understood what he had authority over. He understood what he had authority over you have to understand where your authority lies and who you have authority over. In other words, where does your authority work? Imagine this example. If I walked in this building today unannounced, pulled up my car, the greeters greet me. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, I walk in, people don't know who I am. I walk in, I walk down the hallway and I start barking out orders at children's church people. Hey, clean that up. Hey, you need to do something with that kid in there. Ushers, planes, get this guy out of here. We got a problem. That's got, you know, because they don't know who I am. They have no clue. Why is that awkward? Why is that weird? Now, if Pastor Mark did that. Everybody would go, yes, sir. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. I'm not sure, but we're going to get that done. But if he did it and I did it, they're ushering me, taking me to the mental institute. And they're saying, yes, sir, to him. What's the difference? He know, knows where your authority is. See, so you have authority, especially in your household. You have authority. See, you shouldn't allow, we shouldn't allow this kind of stuff. We shouldn't allow things. There's a lot of things that the enemy comes in, and and there's nothing wrong with the enemy's attack. Some things happen sometimes. But you have to realize the authority that you have, and you need to drive that stuff far from you. Because don't just hope God removes it. Demand the devil take his hands off of what belongs to you in Jesus' name. So you have to understand what authority you have. I don't have authority in this house unless it's delegated to me. I can never get up here and preach unless it's delegated to me. It's delegated authority. When Pastor Mark and I go to the Philippines, we'll go to the Philippines and I'll ask questions like, you know, we have we a have hundred churches over there. And I'll ask questions, what would you like me to do? What would, Do you want me to paint a wall? What would you like me to do? Because I submit myself under the authority of what's there. Because I know where my authority is and I know where it isn't. And when you try to exercise your authority where it doesn't belong, it will get you in trouble. But at the same time, God's blessing is heaped upon you. The power of God is evident in you. The power of God is prevalent in you when you understand the authority of what you have. So it was easy for me with my son, it was easy for me to spend time in the sanctuary just praying, spending the night in the green room three nights and just said, I'm not going home until he's home. And I did that because I understand he's my son. I have authority there. Now, as he gets older, I have less authority than I did before, as when he's 12 years old. But you have to understand. So this guy understood authority. All right, that's one, two, three. Let's shift gears. The third one is, or the fourth one is, I think this is so simple, it's all, we almost miss it. What caused great faith? I wonder it's just because it never been done before. Not in recorded history do we have any teaching, any thought, anywhere. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, just speak a word only and my servant will be healed. Jesus just looked at it and said, whoa, that's really cool. And there's, it had never, ever been done before. So imagine, let's, let's, let me let me show you this and just uh, categorize this. You know, I, with this whole pandemic thing, you know, it's been... To me, it's the devil. You know, you you guys just don't know how blessed you are to be in Idaho compared to Washington. I think we're the only church of significance that even doesn't have a church full of masks. I and I have to socially distance my chair, and we're always wondering if somebody's going to show up at our door, trying to you know trying to do something. It's it's crazy. You are blessed to live in Idaho, in Jesus' name. You're blessed. I'm telling you, you're blessed. But in this pandemic, see, to me, this pandemic didn't cause people's commitment, it exposed people's commitment. And God is about ready to do something, I feel like, across the earth, because this is a worldwide thing that affected every nation. God is ready to do something across the earth because not that God caused this, not that God wanted this, but he used it. And now we have the 300 of Gideon's army, and now he can put ownership and leadership and anointing upon people because he couldn't to some of the people because he had to expose their commitment. There's something new coming. There's something new coming. You know, think about this in, you know, the, the uh, triple crown winner. Let's show this picture of the of a triple crown winner. How many, how many horse people we have out here? Any Horse people? Yeah, okay. I'm a horse person. I like to my neighbors have them. I like to look at them from a distance. <laughs> you know, they get in our yard sometime, and then I got to kind of try to corral them, and I don't know what to do with them. And, you know, and, anyway. So, this is, the, this is the racehorse secretariat. And back in the 70s, won the Triple Crown, and just listen to this the, won the Belmont Stakes by 30 links. I mean, One of the greatest horses of all time. Movies were made. I mean, this is, in the sphere, the the sphere, or whatever, of horses, that horse is the top of the top. I mean, it is like, I mean, people go in all the horse world, they look around, that's that's, that's a really cool horse. I mean, that is like, this is horse, horse of the horse. This is horse's horse's horse. I mean, this is, this is. Of course, of horse. <laughs> Young people are saying, "I have no idea where that's coming from." <laughs> Y'all remember, don't you? You know, a horse is a horse, of course, of course. <laughs> Can anybody sing the rest of it? Uh, anyway, all right. So, but that is the top of the horse. But what would happen if the triple crown broke out of the mode? And won it with this. (laughs) I mean, it's like, shows up on the scene, wins the triple crown, and everybody goes, what? I've never seen anything like that before. And it's outdoing everybody else. I think that that's the next thing we're going to see in the body of Christ is we're going to see the body of Christ rise up, and we're going to see things happen in the body of Christ. We're going to say, what? That's never been done before. The greatest worship songs are to be written yet. The greatest churches are to be built yet. The greatest businesses are still waiting to be built. The greatest times in the world are not behind us. They're ahead of us. But I'll tell you what you know. We we looked at we you know how many talked about everybody. If there's not one, there's every person in this term, every person in this world in this place today. I'll guarantee you, you've most of you have never mentioned the word Glenn Johnson. But every one of you said the word Bill Gates because somehow he put together and made Microsoft and he was worth 50 billion dollars. Now there's other inventions like Amazon that have made him look like you know like you're about fifth in line with your 50 billion. Now I'm worth 150 billion or 200 billion. I'm telling you, the next phase that God's going to do is He's going to take Gideon's 300 army. That you are sitting there because it costs you something to be here this morning. It costs you something to be here. God's going to do something in your life. I believe that if you'll allow Him to, there's a new wave coming upon the church. There's a new wave. I was looking at this. I was looking at this. Um, Look at this scripture in. Joshua chapter 10. Watch this. Joshua chapter, chapter 10, verse 12. Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered up the Am- Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon and the valley of Agilalem. Whatever. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon the enemies. It is not written in the book of Jashar so the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven. It did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. Notice it says about a whole day. I was reading up on this, and science somehow is missing 23 hours and 20 minutes somewhere. They can't. Find, so he says about a whole day. 23 hours and 20 minutes sounds about like about a whole day, doesn't it? But isn't it interesting? Here's Joshua, and he starts commanding the sun, stand still. And this is what you didn't hear from God. What? what? No, no, we don't. I can't do that. We don't work that way. Joshua, you need to get in line. I can't do that. That can't happen. God was silent, and it happened. I think God's waiting for sun-stand-still people to rise up. He's waiting for sun-stand-still people. The next generation of people, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Look at this scripture over in In Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, this passage of Scripture, and we're going to read like 12 verses or 10 verses. He says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in this house, in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there were no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came to him bringing paralytic who were carried by four men, And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Religion always messes things up. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that the reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason among these things to your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose and took up the bed and went out of the, in the presence of them all. And all who were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Hey, get in the back of the line, dude. These people showed up here days early to be here. You guys came at the last minute, and you guys need to go to the back of the line. Jesus never said that. I'm sure he probably went and was like, what in the world is going on here? And then pretty soon, I'm sure he got that little smirk on his face. Like, these guys mean business. These guys mean business. There's a generation of people that, that a lot of older people have given up on. I have not. Our church is full of young people. <laughs> Amazing amount of young people. They're always on the stage, and they got, you know, jeans that look like they cut up themselves and, and uh, you know, stocking caps and all. I'm thinking, huh, whatever. You know. <laughs> you know. It's like I'm the oldest guy in the in the world, you know. But I get all these people in there, and and they say about that generation, well, they're snowflakes. Well, they're they're uh, you know they they're, they feel they they've got a sense of entitlement. <laughs> okay, all that's true. <laughs> but wait till that generation starts connecting to the things of God and taking that entitlementality and starts saying we're going to tear up a roof. We're going to man the sun to stand still. See, the next generation, we've looked at it as a down. I look at it as they're greater than my generation. Because God's going to do something in that generation that's going to rock the world. And us too, obviously. My generation too. But we'll be the ones that will help support that generation. God wants to do something amazing. God wants in your life sun stand still moments. He wants the attack of the unicorns. He wants people that are going to go out and just like, you know, I don't fit in that real estate mode like you guys have been doing it for 50 years. I don't fit into that, this business like you've been doing it for that long. I don't, you know, my th- ideas don't quite fit into that area. My ideas don't quite fit into that area. And watch God do crazy, amazing things. Anybody out there re- receive that today? I, I don't know about you, but I didn't pray for the first service like this, but I just want to just show of hands right now. I just want to pray a quick prayer over you. And we could have you come up here and lay hands on you. And the sake of time, we don't have that kind of time. But if that's you, if this, if, if this is you, and you just feel like, okay, that's me. I'm going to get out of my box. I'm going to get out of the ordinary. I'm going I'm to step out. Because it's something maybe has never been done before. And I'm not I'm not talking about you go look for something that's never been done before. But you probably already have thoughts that you need to, you know, to feed upon and chew upon. And God's wanting you to do some, God's wanting you to revolutionize the industry that you're in. God's wanting you to take your family to a new level. God's wanting you to do something amazing. You have young people here that you think people have given up on you. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. It's your generation that we're counting on to be the entitled entitled in a good way. Bless the Lord! I've got a hold of the Word of God, and this will come to pass because I'm entitled to it in Jesus' name. I'm going to look at across the auditorium. If that's you, just lift up your hand right now. Just lift up your hand all across this auditorium, all across this auditorium. Hundreds, hundreds of people. Let me just pray for you, Father. I pray. I pray that this message would not just be a message that would sit and just be another message, but they would go home, take out a pen, take out a pad of paper, get up in the morning, drink their coffee, spend time with Jesus, and say, Lord, speak to me. Give me a thought. Give me a a vision. Give me a dream. Prompt me in the spirit, Father, that I can be an influencer in this world. For the greatest ministries are yet to be built. What we've done so far has not won the world. Matter of fact, I'm not sure we're even hardly making a dent as a church body worldwide. So it's going to take creative people like that are sitting in this room to go to that next level today. So I pray for each one of them. Get into their business, Lord. Get into their business. Cause change to happen. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that, say Amen. Well just bow your heads if you would for a moment if you would and I just